Welcome to the podcast of Peace NBC. Our mission is to reach everyone who is someone in the eyes of the Lord. Listen to this mighty word of God that will bless you. We hope you are touched and blessed by this podcast. To connect with this ministry or for more about Peace NBC, visit our website or email us at pmbc at peacembchurch.org. Come grow with Come peace. Grow with Come peace. Grow with I want to thank uh, our deacons uh, and our mothers, Deacon Mylon and Deacon uh, Mother Randolph, excuse me, in their absences. We are praying for both of them. We are praying for our church body as a whole. It's good to know that people are praying for you. It's good to know. Just look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Now, don't lie now if you ain't praying for that neighbor. Now, if you said it, you need to start. Amen. (laughs) If you said it, you need to start. But we are thankful. Um, And I'm thankful for all of you all who serve in this church to make peace be a place of peace. And to you, the people of God, I am gracious um, to serve you all. And I I tell you all the time, I love you all. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Well, it's preaching time. We're going to dive right into the word. You know, I've been asked an interesting and somewhat humorous question throughout my years of ministry. People often will ask, why do preachers feel the need to say, tell your neighbor this or turn and tell your neighbor that? So my answer is that we use this phrase to encourage community and participation within the congregation. By asking the audience to turn and tell their neighbor, we hope to foster a sense of belonging and connection between members. This phrase also breaks down barriers and encourages meaningful interaction. So today, with the help of the Lord, I hope to encourage interaction between all of us, even if there's a problem. So I just want you to know you're going to be talking a lot today, but it's all right. It's all right. Do me a favor. Turn to your neighbor. And say, neighbor, tell your neighbor. I don't think that neighbor got it. Just look at another neighbor and say, neighbor, tell your neighbor. All right. All right. That's our subject for this morning. Tell your neighbor. Our text is coming from the book of Zechariah, chapter 8. The book of Zechariah, chapter 8. And I'm going to ask that we stand in reverence to the word of God. Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 16. Zechariah chapter 8. We're going to read two verses, verses 16 and 17. We're going to read as we have been doing for the last couple of weeks in unison. And So when you have it, say, I got it. If you need a little bit of time, say, give me a moment. All right. Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 16. We'll read all together. These are the things that ye shall do. Speak ye every man the truth to his neighbor. Execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates. And let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor. And love no false oath, 
For all these are things that I hate, saith the Lord. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Last week, we commenced on a journey towards uncovering the truth about whispers in the pew. Our initial stop on this journey led us to the realization that the devil infiltrates the minds of the saints. He infiltrates the minds of the saints and he sows seeds of doubt, leading us to murmur against God and his leaders. This week, we will delve deeper into the topic of the dangers of gossiping, murmuring, and talebearing. Specifically, we will explore the significant correlation between having the courage to speak up and the blessings that God bestows upon us. Come and go with me as we travel through the word of God. In the book of Zechariah, we read about a young man who began his ministry by prophesying to the Israelites who were exiled in Babylon. They are exiled in this time period. It comes after the Babylonians had taken conquest of Judah and destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. They had been in captivity for some period of time. And now we pick up in the book of Zechariah where they are now exiled for a time of 70 years. We find ourselves being dropped in the middle of a transition from the Babylonian Empire to the Persian Empire. Unlike the Babylonians, the Persian Empire aimed to maintain friendly relations between vassal and lord. To strengthen local authorities, the empire leaders encouraged them, build the temple. And this was seen as good politics for the Persians and a blessing from God by the Jews. However, when Israel got to the place where they were going to build their temple, they encountered some challenges. Some of those challenges were economic hardships and external pressures. As we read through the book of Zechariah, we learn that Zechariah has a co-worker. He has a contemporary called Haggai. They prophesied during this same period of time. I find it interesting that even in our Sunday school lesson, we are reading about the same rebuilding of the same temple. Zechariah preaches to them. He prophesies to them a little bit differently than Haggai. They have different styles and methods, but they have the same ultimate objective. Zechariah received his prophetic visions in the form of what we would call night visions. Other people call them dreams. These dreams were important because they were given to Zechariah while he was sleeping. Zechariah was asleep. But what this lets us know is that God's communication with humanity is not restricted to waking hours or conscious states. Anybody ever had God deal with you in a dream? You've seen some things while you're dreaming. You've had some things you didn't understand. You may have seen a rabbit run real fast. You might have seen a house on fire. You're like, God, what? does this mean? And in your seeking for the interpretation of your dream, God gives you the understanding. Now, if you like me, when I see something strange, I got to tell somebody. And so the minute I start telling folk, they want to know what does it mean? So now that God has given me the interpretation, I got to go share it with somebody. This is what Zachariah had been dealing with. He was a young man, but God was dealing with him in his dreams. And I want to let you know, don't let anybody make fun of you because God is dealing with you in a way that they don't understand. 
Zechariah had a message. This message was one of hope and encouragement. Uh, it was a message of hope because while they were rebuilding the temple, they had some problems. They didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have a lot of things that they could use to rebuild it. So they had to pull themselves together. He reminded them that despite the bleak and wearisome times, the Messiah was promised to come. This message of hope was a powerful reminder that their current struggles were transitory. That word transitory means temporary, that their struggles were temporary, but God had a plan for their future. If I can testify for a few moments, I remember when I bought my first car. My first car, I bought it for $500. Now that should have told me something right there, but I'll keep going with my story. Bought my car for $500. It was a 1987 Buick. I'll never forget, I got it, I was happy. But I realized something, this car didn't have no air conditioning. So here I am, 16 years old, got my first car, ain't got no air. It's in the dead middle of the summer. So I rolled my windows down. And then I got smart. I said, oh, they got them little fans you could put in the cigarette light and put on the dashboard. So I thought, I thought that was smart. And soon as the air would get cold in the car, my car would shut down because it had another problem. It didn't go very far. About every five miles, I'd have to get out and jump it all over again. But here's the point of the story. I'm so glad that I don't still drive that 1987 Buick. But God has now blessed me with something comfortable. He's blessed me with a car that has air conditioning and it even has leather. I just wanted to encourage you and let you know, like Job, like Bildad said to Job, though thy beginning was small. Yet thy latter end should greatly increase. Though you've been going through struggles and you've been going through trials, whatever you're going through now is not the end of the story. It's not all that God has written for you. It's not all that God has promised to you. But it might be small now. But I promise you, if you stick with God, God will get you through it. And so in addition to invigorating the Israelites to rebuild their temple. Zechariah wanted to emphasize the importance or the significance of purifying themselves of the sins that had led them into captivity in the first place. This was a message of repentance. It was a message of repentance because they needed to be reminded that you can build the temple all you want. Uh, but if you don't address the spiritual issues that led you into exile in the first place, you'll be right back where you started. I don't know if I'm the only one that's heard that song that says I've got to clean up what I've messed up. Uh, brothers and sisters, everything isn't on God to clean up. God's not just going to jump down in your situation and make it all right. God wants you to understand that there is a responsibility that you have in riding the ship. Uh, there's a responsibility that you have in understanding. If I created this mess, uh, then it's going to be on me to clean it up. So Zachariah's message, his prophecy is one of hope and responsibility. He encourages Israel that you're going to have to persevere if you're going to build the temple. No matter what comes, no matter what adversity you face, you've got to keep going. Just tap your neighbor and say, neighbor, 
keep going, keep going, keep going. Zachariah's age at the time he's called a prophet and priest is left a mystery to us. In the book of Zechariah, we don't read how old he is. We don't know whether he's young or whether he's old, but the Bible gives us a clue because it mentions to us that he is a lad. It tells us in any ways that there was a young man who God is now dealing with. The other thing we learn about Zechariah is if you study the priesthood, you recognize they didn't work regular jobs. They devoted themselves to the work of the Lord. They devoted themselves to God's house. But what I found interesting while I was working on this message is that Zachariah's name even had significance. Zachariah's name was a sign that God had remembered the people. You see, we give our kids all kinds of names nowadays, but in the Bible, they would often give their children names that talked about the God that they served. They would give them names that when you said their name, it reminded whoever called them that God was somewhere in the mix. And so when we look at Zachariah's name, we understand that Zachariah's name meant God remembers. God remembers. It carries the idea that God has not forgotten about his people or his promises. It's a reminder for us that God is faithful. Not only is God faithful, but he keeps his word. He, he keeps his promises to us. Isn't it ironic that the very prophet who's telling them, God's going to remember you, God's going to remember you, God has not forgotten you, his very name means God remembers. Zachariah's name is a message to us that God's word is consistent. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35. He says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. I don't know about you, but there are times where God has told me things or God has shown me things or God has used a person to come and give me a word. And I've been holding on to it and I felt like God was never going to come through on that word. I just want to encourage you in the words of Jesus. His words shall not pass away. In chapter 7 and 8 of the book, the prophet Zechariah answers questions about fasting. God had instructed Israel to observe four days to mourn the destruction of the temple. But Zechariah assured them that there's going to come a day where you're not going to have to mourn because there's going to be a new temple that's going to be built. When we get to verse 16, Zechariah proceeds to give Israel instructions on how to redeem the promise. He starts by saying, these are the things that ye shall do. This is what God is requiring of you. This is what he wants you to do. Listen to what he says. He said, he says to them, be honest in your dealings. Don't have a spirit of lying or deception. Be fair in your judgments. Don't unfairly condemn your brother. Seek peace and truth as you move along. And then he ends up by saying, don't be a trouble starter. When the Bible speaks of gates in verse 16, it's speaking of the gates of the city that the priest and the judges would rule and render their judgment at. Thus in 
like manner, you and I ought to make sure that we are governing our spiritual gates. We are paying attention to what we are intaking. Church, this means you can't watch everything. Ah, no, you can't listen to every song. You can't be a part of every conversation. There might be some conversations that you have to say, oh my, would you look at the time? I've got to go. I got to get away from this conversation because the longer you stay listening, the more contamination comes in your spirit. In verse 17, Zechariah speaks to how people will develop evil thoughts of harm toward their neighbor. He speaks to them about avoiding gossip and talebearing, mainly because they're often made up. He ends his instructions by telling them these are the things that God hates. I've learned, brothers and sisters, if we love what God loves and we should hate what God hates. There are a few lessons that we that we glean in the text. In verse 17, the Bible says, and let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor. You can't make up falsehoods about one another. We can't be exaggerators. We can't leave out relevant facts to create an interesting story. I've learned that if you don't have all the facts and you don't have the complete story, don't spread rumors. You ought to keep your mouth shut. Ah, First Timothy 5 and 13 says, and with all they learn to be idle. There are some people who are in our lives who don't have nothing to do. They don't work no job. They don't go nowhere. They have nothing to do at all. The Bible says they are wandering about from house house. Y'all know some of these people, they go around collecting stories. The Bible says, ah, and not only are they idle, but they are tattlers and busy bodies. They spend so much time being busy in everybody else's business. The Bible says they speak things which they ought not. Perhaps you tell them something and by the time you get down the street, what you told them was at somebody else's house. These people, they are busybodies. They are not busy. They're not, they don't have no nothing else to do but be in your business. And I've learned that individuals who tend to occupy themselves with other people's affairs, they need a hobby. They need something to do. Because if all you got to do is be in my business, then perhaps I need to find you something to do. And so the Bible tells us that we can't be like busybodies. We can't move ourselves where we are in everybody else's business, where we are spreading and telling everybody else's story. I didn't tell you for you to tell my story. I want to tell my story myself. Verse 16, the Bible says, speak ye every man the truth to his neighbor. I've learned, brothers and sisters, you can't speak around people. You can't, uh, when people come around, talk under your breath. You can't uh, talk over people in a way that people won't understand. Uh, nor can you speak through people. You can't send messages through people. You, we can't be on Facebook sending subliminal messages. We can't make postings about people. We can't post gifts and memes about people as if people won't understand. 
understand who we're talking about. Ah, we got to understand that we've got to have the courage to face the other person and talk to them ourselves. Ah, we can't allow fear. We can't allow fear ah, to create a wedge between you and another person because look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, fear is not an option. It's not an option. It's not an option for me not to talk to you. It's not an option for me to talk around you. I've got to have the courage uh, to go to you myself. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18. He says, moreover, if thy brother trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And that's the problem with us today. We want to tell somebody else our problem with another person. But Jesus said, we've got to go to whom we have the problem and tell them the problem alone. The Bible says, if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Brothers and sisters, you've got to give your brother or sister a fair chance to defend their character. You've got to allow them to stand up to the accusations that you make against them. It's hateful to believe everything you hear about another person. If you all you're doing is hearing and repeating, sometimes you've got to sit with that information and think, would this person actually do this? How in the world could they say that? I don't believe uh, that this person said this. You've got to use some critical analysis. You've got to think and ponder over whether or not what's been said to you is actually factual. And so Zechariah teaches us in Zechariah 8 and verse 6. He says, execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates. When dealing with each other, it is important that we deal fairly. Yes, it's important that we reach conclusions using both peace and truth. Truth means that we have fully investigated a matter before we have drawn a conclusion. It means that we have researched, we have found out the deeds, if you will, before we have made up in our mind what we think. But then it says not only should we do it in truth, but we ought to do it in peace. I'm so tired of when we want to go to somebody with a problem. We want to go to them with a bad attitude. We want to go to them in a, in a hateful and mean spirit. And then we're trying to figure out why do they not want to hear what I have to say? Maybe it's the way you came to them. Maybe it's the spirit that you are talking to them in. Because Jesus said, in love and kindness have I drawn thee. If you want to win your brother or sister, you've got to make sure that you are coming in the right spirit. The Bible lets us know that the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. Somebody say shalom. It's the word shalom. It means wholeness and 
goodness. Uh, it means nothing missing and nothing broken, which means that if you're going to come to somebody in peace, you got to make sure there's nothing missing. You got to make sure you got all the information before you step to another person. Now, I wish I could teach this morning. In essence, this means that you should follow through on your judgments. You've got to make sure that you are a person of your word. You can't issue edicts and say, well, I ain't going to do this and I ain't going to do that. And every time we turn around, you are changing and flipping and flopping on what you said. How Proverbs 25 and verse 8 says, go not forth hastily to strive. I wish I could teach this morning what that means is you can't be so busy to get in somebody else's business. The Bible says, go not forth hastily to strive, meaning you ought to pump the brakes sometimes, lest thou not know not what to do in the end thereof. Did you think about this before you decided to step to another person? Did you figure out whether or not they were going to receive you or did you just make up in your big head mind ah, that I'm just going to step to them and they're going to have to hear me? No, no. The Bible says that person will put you to shame because what if the reason why you're stepping to them for is wrong what if you didn't get your facts what if you didn't get your information now you look like boo boo the fool all because you are hasty to strive ah so the bible says debate thy cause with thy neighbor himself ah i get so tired of debating with a group of people when one person got the problem I can't hear nobody. How many times have you ever had an issue with a person and you got to go through six, seven, eight, nine other people just to deal with that one person you got the problem with? I don't want to text you. I don't want to text them. I don't want to ride over to their house. I need to talk to you because the Bible says debate thy calls with thy neighbor himself. Uh, but it gives us an instruction. It says discover not a secret to another. Uh, you got to learn how to keep folks secrets. Some of us only like information so we can tell it. Some of us only want to know so we can talk. Some of us are only people's friends so we can find out what they're doing. The Bible says that you ought to discover not a secret to another. Oftentimes, we jump to conclusions based on half-truths. Mm, we seek to neglect we and we neglect to seek out the whole truth. This leads to folly and shame. Proverbs 18 and 17 says, he that is first in his own cause seemeth just, but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him. What this means is everybody's right to themselves. Uh, everybody's assumptions are right. All of your presumptions are right. All of your foregone conclusions are right. But what if you get somebody to challenge what you think? In other words, everybody's point of view seems right until it is thoroughly inspected and challenged. Uh, let's take a trip to a courtroom. Uh, in a courtroom, you have a defense attorney and the defense attorney gets up and makes an argument. And this argument is believable. And so what happens is the defense attorney has everybody in the courtroom convinced 
convinced that the man is not guilty, that the woman did not do the crime. How? Ah, but then the judge says, ah, defense, do you rest? And the prosecution gets up and the prosecution starts to cross examine the witness. The prosecution begins to ask questions, ask questions. They say, well, we're, what time were you there? You said one time you was there at eight o'clock. The next time you said you was there at five o'clock. Which one is it? They begin to break down the case. Not only are they cross-examining witnesses, but they begin to argue the evidence. They begin to ask the question, did you see the gun in their hand or did you just make it up? Ah, were your glasses working when you saw them? Were you in the neighborhood when you said you saw them? How do you know that this person is the one who did the crime? And all the while the jury is sitting there and the jury is discovering hole after hole after hole in the case because what the prosecutor has done is the prosecutor has broken down the case. And I would argue, brothers and sisters, is this is what we must do. How when we receive information, we've got to cross-examine, we've got to argue the evidence, we've got to find where are the loopholes in the story because I've learned there's always a plot twist, there's always something left out. Oh yeah, I forgot that part. I didn't, I didn't mean, I, I, oh, I just left left my mind. I, 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 I meant to tell you this, but for some odd reason, oh yeah, were you there? Well, I thought I was. I might have been dreaming. No, you weren't dreaming. You're lying. I got to go. I got to go. And so here we are. The Bible is giving us clear instruction. Zechariah tells the children of Israel that you're going to have to learn how to build through despair. I want to park right there for a moment. He tells them, yes, you're going to be in this place for a while. And I want to let you know, brothers and sisters, God is not just going to come along and snatch you out of your problem. He's not just going to come along and move you out of your issue. He's not just going to come along and pull people out of your life. But you're going to have to learn how to build through it. Somebody say build. I've got to build through it. I've, I've got to build the foundation back. I've got to build on what God has given me. I know you are hurting and I know it doesn't feel good, but you've got to build. This is what Zechariah is trying to tell Israel. You're going to have to learn how to build through your pain. And that's the problem. We get so weak in moments that we forget that God has not left us. He's with us. And that's why God is telling you, you've got to build. Not only does he say you got to build, but he tells you why. He tells them, he says, in order for you to build, in order for you to receive what God has for you, in order for you to get your healing, in order for you to get your deliverance, in order for God to open doors for you, you've got 
to work. You've got to work in coordination and in cooperation with your fellow man. Now, just do me a favor. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, I can't do this without you. I can't do this without you. I know you think you bad all by yourself, but might I suggest Tyler Perry was lying because you can't do it by yourself. God didn't put us here by ourselves. He put us here so that we could be a blessing to one another. Huh? So the lesson for us today is that you can work with somebody you can't talk to. Uh, we have this problem in our churches. Everybody wants to work in the church, but we don't want to talk to one another. How can you come in God's house and you want to lift your hands and you want to pray and you want to shout and you want to dance? But when I say hello, you ain't got nothing to say. That's not what God expects. So the first thing he tells the children of Israel is you've got to speak to your neighbor. I know, church, we get tired. We get tired of being told to tell your neighbor. But perhaps the reason why we're being told to tell our neighbor is because we're practicing. We are practicing. The preacher wants us to use a muscle that we're not used to using. He wants us to use the muscle of courage. He wants us to learn that in order for you to get what God has, you're going to have to develop courage in the way that you talk. We can be so busy that we're going to talk around and behind people's back, but we've got to talk to our neighbor. And so speak in this verse is defined as talking to someone. It means to arrange your words so that they can be heard. It means forming your language so that the person hearing it can receive it. Not only does God tell you to arrange your words so that they can be heard, but he tells them, he say, he tells you who needs to hear what you have to say. And then he tells you how they need to be heard. Church, we've got to speak to our neighbors but before we speak to our neighbor we might have to muster up the courage we might have to muster up some strength to talk to our neighbor and so we've got to speak to ourselves first and we've got to tell ourselves some things before we can talk to our neighbor and so we've got to tell ourselves some godly affirmations when you get home I want to challenge you to find a mirror and go look in the mirror and practice talking to yourself. You got to tell yourself, I am a winner. You got to tell yourself, I am courageous. You got to tell yourself, I am brave. Come on, church, let's practice. You got to tell yourself, I am triumphant. You got to tell yourself, I am cool, calm and collected. You got to tell yourself I am anointed and I am appointed for the task God has given me. You've got to encourage yourself and tell yourself I'm going to make it. You got to tell yourself I'm not going to die. But 
God is going to bring me through this. And I've learned that the problem with a lot of us is we spend so much time thinking that we're not speaking. We have a lot of things in our mind, but we're not putting it out of our mouths. And so you got to tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, you got to start opening up your mouth. You got to take this stuff off the top of your brain. Ah, we are thinking too much. We're thinking too much. We've had a lot of thoughts, but not a lot of words. We harvest our opinions, leaving them to germinate in a mind that's desperately wicked brothers and sisters we've got to know that when we speak we can't be inconsistent but we've got to mean what we say we've got to mean when we tell our neighbor something we've got to be people of our words and so Zachariah is trying to encourage them he says if you want what God has you're going to I have to speak the truth to your neighbor. So when it's time after we've talked to ourselves, when it's time to speak to our neighbor, you can tell your neighbor, look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, I love you, neighbor. Come on, we got to talk to our neighbor. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, you're not a failure. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, you are strong stronger than your struggle. Come on, tell your neighbor. Say, neighbor, you are courageous. Say, neighbor, be encouraged. Say, neighbor, be bold. Tell your neighbor, be honest. You got to tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, be right. You got to tell your neighbor, speak not of vanity. Speak not of slander. Speak not of hearsay. Speak not of gossip. But when you speak, you got to speak at the right time. You got to have wisdom to speak when God wants. Every time ain't the right time to open up your mouth. But we've got to learn how to speak at the right time. Not only do we got to learn how to speak at the right time, but we've got to learn how to speak in the right way. We can't talk to folk nasty and belligerent, but we've got to tell people in a kind and nice way. But whenever you speak, whatever you speak, you've got to speak it all in the name of Jesus. Colossians 3 and 17 says, and whatsoever ye do in word or deed, I'm going to say it again, whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. When I'm talking, I need to do it in Jesus' name. When I'm walking, I need to do it in Jesus' name. Because however I'm doing what I'm doing, I'm giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. So when you speak, you got to speak in the name Jesus. Brothers and sisters, they used to sing a song, don't let His name, don't let His name go down 
down. Don't let his name go down, which means that there is a standard. And we've got to hold that standard up. We can't let the word of God falter. And we can't let the word of God fail. But we've got to hold up his name. So when we run into an unbeliever, we can speak of the goodness of Jesus. We can tell him, I know God's good because I tried him for myself. We can speak of his mercy because we can say one day he saved my soul from sin. We can speak of his grace. We can tell that unbeliever, you don't have to give up now because God's going to give you another chance. You got to tell that person, you got to speak of his power and his might. You got to tell him, I've been in some dangers, seen and unseen, but the hand of the Lord brought me out. You got to speak of his love. You got to tell him it was his love that he gave when he died. It was his love that made him get back up again. It was his love that made him give us his spirit. It was his love that made us give us his word. You got to speak of his kindness. You got to tell him whenever I'm in God's presence, he don't look at me like I'm wrong, but he encourages me to press on. Is there anybody here that's going to speak? Speak about Jesus. If you're going to talk, just wave your hand and say, I'm going to speak. What are you going to speak? You ought to speak of his holiness. It don't make sense to tell him how good he is. If you ain't going to tell him, they need to live right. So the Bible tells us holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. The holiness to talk right and holiness to walk right. Holiness to live right. So we got to tell him I'm reminded of what the hymnologist said. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Is there anybody here that's leaning on his name? Is there anybody here that says, I might falter, but I'm leaning on his name? And it goes on to say, on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all of the ground is sinking sand. I'm standing on Christ when I talk to my neighbor. I'm not standing on my feelings. I'm not standing on my emotions, but I'm standing on Christ because my feelings are sinking sand. My feelings might be wrong. My thoughts might be evil, but if I'm leaning on Jesus, if I'm standing on God, I'm going to walk in his spirit. Somebody say, yeah. Yes. As I go to my seat, I want you to remember, if you want what God has for you, then you've got to take courage. You've got to take courage and speak the truth to your neighbor. Do me one more favor. For the last time, grab your neighbor by the hand and say, neighbor, I got something to tell you. Come on, tell that neighbor. 
say, I've got something to tell you. Now, you got to speak up because when you open up your mouth and you tell of the goodness of Jesus, my mind feels better when you tell your story. Now, is there anybody here that's going to tell their story? Now, I was sinking now deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, but the master yes sir nah, of the sea nah, yeah he heard my despairing cry nah, is there anybody here nah, that's ever had a crime nah, and you didn't know how you was gonna make it nah, but see here's the blessing in the song nah, that a crying is you speaking up a nah, crying is you opening up your mouth nah, you ain't gonna get what God has nah, if you don't open your mouth nah, you ain't gonna get what God wants nah, if you ain't gonna open up your mouth nah, you got to tell God God, I need you to do some things in my life. So I've got to open up my mouth. But here's the issue. No, we are so quick to tell God what we want, but we'll talk about our neighbor. No, we'll lie on our neighbor. No, we'll backbite against our neighbor. No, so before you go talk to God, you need to go find that neighbor and say, I've got something to tell you. I'm sorry for how many times I've lied. I'm sorry for how many times I've backbited. I'm sorry for how much gossip I've spread. I'm sorry for how many tales I've told. My telltelling days, my telltelling days are over. I'm going to tell you why, and we'll look in disbelief. But I met a man who told me a tale. He told me all about myself. He told me how sinful I was. He told me how wretched I was, how I didn't deserve to be saved, how I didn't deserve to be alive, but yet here I am. And so every chance I get, I'm going to speak up and tell somebody else about the goodness of Jesus. Is there anybody here that can say, come what me? I'm going to open up my mouth and tell somebody Oh, I'm going to tell him all about my Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The doors of the church are now open. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We hope you were touched and blessed by what you have heard. Remember to follow us on social media. For more info about Peace NBC, visit us at www.peacenbchurch.org. If you would like to support this ministry and help us reach more souls, visit our website and click Give into this ministry. Be blessed, and we will see you next time. Peace in BC Podcast. Podcast. Podcast.